Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back. Another offload delay podcast forecast uh, podcast is here. Uh, in the forecast, we have two veteran medics today. We've got Randy. We've got Kenny. I've known these guys for years. I've been trying to get them on the podcast for quite a while. Uh, today's show is about the veteran side of things, the senior staff, the seasoned vets, trying to talk about uh, what they've seen, what they know, what they would recommend, and really what they don't know as well, I guess. Uh, great bunch of guys here to share some of their stories. And, uh, I know we have a lot of interested folks out there wondering how they've done what they've done for so long. So I'm going to bring them in right now. First, we've got, uh, Kenny and now we have Randy gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome hey, to the show. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for joining. Uh, I know the audience couldn't see what we were dealing with a little bit before recording and it was a true veteran experience of technology between suck at computers pretty much that's what happens. It. yeah that's it so that's so, a general theme amongst randy and myself that's yeah, uh that's right it's uh it was comical i i wanted to record it but uh we didn't anyone that's worked alongside us can figure out what the uh computer issues may have looked like if they've seen us work with anything technical on the trucks but Thanks for joining, guys. I uh, I want you to introduce yourself. First, we're going to start with Randy. Just kind of how long you've been doing it, uh, level of care you're providing. We're in Southeast Ontario. That's basically what I'm going to say. And we'll go from there. So, Randy, welcome. Okay. Hey, guys. Well, you can see my name on the bottom. Um, I started in 1987. So, next year is 35 years for me. And I'm an ALS provider. I was uh, in the first Opals group. So, I did my uh, training in 1996, so I've been in ACP for uh, 25 years, which is kind of surprising. Doesn't seem that long. Randy, you've honestly worked longer than some of the people you've worked beside have been alive, and uh, that's just a matter of fact point that we're at in our career, uh, you more than myself. And, and in the middle, we have Kenny. Uh, I haven't called him Kenny for years. Everyone affectionately knows him as Snoop. Well, or, not everyone, just the old people, eh? Okay, well, you know? uh, our crew. So I'm going to have Kenny introduce yourself again, how long you've been doing it, and uh, what kind of, what capacity you're working in, and maybe even sure. what got you interested in it all those years ago. Well, first off, I, I actually don't have my teeth in, and I put a toque on so that I didn't look too <laughs> much like Brad, so there you go. But I will take my toque off, put my teeth in, and now I do look like Brad. Um, I've been a paramedic since uh, 1995. 
five years at the PCP level, and then I became an advanced care paramedic in the year 2000. And I've been working at that level ever since. So I guess I've been at the job 26 and a half years now. And uh, yeah, I, I actually fell into it completely by accident. I went down to Toronto to visit uh, a guy I'd grown up with, and uh, he was a police officer. Uh, and I happened to be there the day of a funeral for a Toronto police officer who was shot and killed, Todd Bayless. And so could have been my buddy in that casket, could have been anyone, uh, you know, in terms of policing and such. And uh, so I attended the funeral with my buddy and his wife. And I'd, like I said, I'd grown up with them. Uh, he's like an older brother and older sister. And uh, it was a really hot day in June and all the police officers were standing at attention, waiting for the hearse to come by. And they started dropping like flies, just passing out in the heat. And so I turned to my buddy's wife, Jane, and I said, she's a nurse at Women's College Hospital. And I said, uh, what's up with this ambulance stuff? Because prior to that day, I'd never, never thought of it as a career. I'd lifeguarded and taught swimming lessons, but I have a degree in political studies and uh, really thought that my life might go towards like the law or you know, something like that. Just that sort of thing. Government well, one aspect work. of the law anyway. That's yeah. For sure. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyhow, I mean, completely, uh, just a, a complete left turn from what I kind of thought I was going to do. And so I asked Jane, I said, what's involved with this ambulance stuff? And she goes, as far as I know, it's one year at community college. So I came back to Kingston a couple of days later after having a bit of a rip in Toronto there and uh, applied six weeks before school started. And the only place accepting applicants still was Centennial College. So I had to uh, do an adult aptitude test and all this stuff in you know, short order and uh, went down for an interview. And at the end of the interview, I just said to the guy, am I in the program or not? Because I don't want to find out the day before school starts yeah, that, yeah. that I have to move to Toronto. And the rest and is history, me, bud. Yeah, he told me on the spot, you're in. I said, here we go. So you you've that, become one of the legends in our area over those well, years, and uh, I mean, lots of guy. people will be watching this that know you not only from your work capacity, but from your social network that you formed in your home city there. And how about well, you, Randy? What got you involved? Why did you ever uh, go into this mysterious, weird world we're in? It was uh, like Kenny. It was completely by accident. I was. Uh, I was playing hockey for St. Lawrence College in Brockville when I was taking. I was in. I think he means he sat on the bench, quite frankly. Yeah, but yeah. I know I was going to leave that detail out, but anyway, all the way in, not here, bud. <laughs> I was in the gym, and uh, a guy named Rick McLeese, who has retired from Brockville, we started chatting, whatever, and he said, uh, "What are you doing?" And I told him I in nursing school, and he said, "You ever think of working on the ambulance?" And I had no idea anything about it whatsoever. And at that point, you could work on the ambulance with your class F, your CPR, and your first aid. Unreal. So, yeah. So he said, why don't you get those, and then we'll see if we can get you in. So I did that. I did uh, four days, because we were self-dispatched at the time. I did four days of dispatch, learning how to punch the little cards. And one day, a ride night with Rick and Jeff Crawford, and that was it. Oh, I was geez. on the road. Oh, man. One day, yeah. Trial by fire. Right? Yeah. No well, kidding. I didn't know enough to be scared, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what I think how we all started. We we didn't know enough at the beginning, and the the naive is uh, being naive was a bonus for us. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, I'm going to let everybody know who's watching this together. There's about eight decades 
of ambulance experience on the screen or, or on the pod that you're listening to right Thanks now. Thanks for reminding us, Brad. Well, Randy, Randy weighs that quite heavily for us, right? He's got about 65 of them, so yeah. uh, we can, we'll can we split the rest, Kenny. Uh, yeah. It's I just think you guys have been I in I heard this. he might have been one of the disciples back in the day. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'm not going to say which one. Um, so we've we've all been in this for quite a while right now, and we've seen a lot of changes through your career, through our careers, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, what do you think, guys? What's kind of, if you had to highlight one of the best changes that you've seen, let some of the, the people that haven't been involved in it that long know kind of what was okay back in the day. What what was okay and what's changed now and how is it helping us or making things worse? Let me go first. Sure, yeah, go ahead, Randy. I think uh, bringing in of the symptom relief in the ALS care has been the greatest thing that ever happened to us. Happened so what do you mean patients. by that, Randy? Before this, what were you doing for patients? Bed oxygen blanket. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And as a student at Centennial for myself in the, the 1994-95 school year, it was only a one-year program. It was exactly that. Like When I rode out in Toronto as a student downtown at 40 Station, uh, my preceptors only had an oxygen bag and a first aid kit. Like we didn't have a defibrillator. We didn't have any medications and Toronto had ALS at the time, but like you didn't always see them on every call. So you honestly were showing up and just position O2 transport, bed, oxygen, blanket, however you want to do it, pot or Bob. So Randy, that obviously obviously caught your attention because you became an advanced care medic. One of the first around in the Opals program, which was, uh, for those who aren't aware, we're going to describe it as one of the first advanced care training programs outside of Toronto, right, in the province of Ontario, and you brought it back to the to the area that you work in now. So obviously that symptom relief was a start of further treatments, better treatments to come, and obviously a major advance in our field. So there's a good good feature. What about you, Snoop? What, Kenny, what do you think well, in your well, career? Honestly, uh, I was actually going to say exactly what Randy said. The the uh, creation of the advanced care paramedic program across the province was absolutely uh, instrumental in advancing the field. Uh, also, I think, uh, you know, the symptom relief for sure. Now I really would like to see, and it's starting to happen, the widespread autonomous IV for PCPs, you know, like right. those sorts right. of advances. You just, uh, you know, can't put a dollar value on how important they've been to the public and, uh, and we've all, our, our career. we've all, all three of us have practiced at the advanced care level and the autonomous IV thing is very rewarding for the primary cares, but it's also very helpful. I know I've worked with primary cares who could also do IV starts for us advanced Absolutely. guys. And the more they can give people, the better, right? And it's a tremendous help to the flow of the call if they can also chip in and help the advanced level side a little more. Absolutely. I, I'm actually surprised that none of you mentioned this guy here, which is the one of the most recent innovations that's been brought to our industry and that we often thank the taxpayers for. Uh, that there was one of our new power stretchers. And for anybody that didn't know, most of these guys worked for their uh, their entire careers with manual lift stretchers uh, to different capacities. One of the originals for me and uh, was was this guy here. What, what did we call this, Randy? What was this? This is the number 30 that you're showing here, right? Right. So this number 30, a lot of medics on the road would never even have touched one of these or seen one of these back uh, before they were they were gone, before they were hired. And what was the the mechanism? How did these operate? Like what were... Actually, I, 
think, Brad, that's a 35A, isn't it? With the it might be, yeah. I thought it was a 30. I thought it was a 30 with the tell. carriage. But either way, I was trying now, to so show a 30 with uh, the, the, the point I was trying to make was no matter what lift you did with the 30, whenever you had a patient on your stretcher, it always had the drop right yeah, you had the drop the so no matter the the, the patient could be at the perfect height to load them in the truck but those stretchers demanded you drop the carriage you got the patient to the ground and then you lifted the whole thing up collectively yeah. and loaded it in call after call after call so those days are gone you get this bad boy out there now which is uh one like that's being used in many services across the province and it's literally a battery powered setup where the the battery will do the lift it's like a scissor lift uh, there yeah. are weight capacities. Sometimes we got to assist even beyond the six, seven, eight hundred pound capacities of these things. Yeah, I think uh, they're seven fifty something like that. And we can add a little bit of oomph to get it over that seven fifty. Yeah. But it definitely, I think, is going to be a game changer for anybody in the profession now and and trying kind of in the early or mid part of their career that are trying to get a few extra years out of this job because it That's is physically a lot of people that that lost their careers because of those thirties. Like and it was back. notorious, right? Paramedicine yeah. was notorious for being a career that ended not willing, uh, willingly. It was backs were blown, shoulders were blown. I, be I believe the old stat, Brad, was something around 4% of paramedics actually made it to retirement. And now wow. that's changing with the creation of uh, community paramedicine jobs and other sort of non-traditional paramedic roles that uh, people are having the chance to, uh, to do now. But yeah, back in the day, I mean, you, know, you honestly never saw too many guys make it to retirement. I like, think, and you're uh, talking starting the job and finishing the job, right? Yeah, like absolutely. Beginning to end. So I'm, I'm not even in that number anymore. Like I, yeah. I only stayed part-time and you guys are going to be some of those rare four percenters by the looks of it that are going to retire. So <laughs> kudos to you. Uh, I don't think some of the people that are working right now have any idea. Uh, it's hard for me to fathom what 35 years would even look like in this profession. Uh, one it day is it really is quick. Well, I guess looking back, it would, but one day at a time, it seems like such a, a slugfest that you don't know how you're going to survive all those. So let's talk about uh, stressors. So there's a lot of things that drive these people to become those 96%, as you said, Kenny, that will leave, that are gone, uh, that won't go make retirement from from being a brand new hire. And some of the some of the major stressors we hear about and that the public perceives is kind of like the call types we do. Not only, mm -hmm. not only what we see, but for me personally, what we smell, what we feel, uh, what we witness uh, as far as uh, emotionally around us. But now I think call volume has crept in. Call volume is becoming as much or more of a stressor for most medics across the country from what I'm hearing and probably beyond as much as the call types we're doing. So any idea over the years, uh, have you seen a change in call volume or a lack of uh, increased support to help deal with call volume? Well, I'll just, I'll start by saying like the, it's always been a busy uh, field. We've always been busy, always, always, always. Back in the day, uh, between emergency calls, you did a lot of uh, inter-facility transfers, right? So you'd pick someone up, say, at a hospital and return them to the nursing home or pick them up at the nursing home to take them to their hospital appointment. Or you'd take someone who's discharged from hospital and take them home and literally carry them up the stairs into their house and put them to bed, and that was the call. And uh, so, you know, you're doing that in between all the emergency calls. Now we've offloaded a lot of those transfers to transfer companies, but 
we're still as busier, busier because the emergency calls have just spiked. And yeah. and some of that's related to COVID. Some of that was happening well before COVID even came along. Uh, we're just, we are really too busy uh, and we don't have enough trucks, quite frankly. And, and right. what do you think? Way to put it. What do you think, Randy? Is what's causing the, is it, is it an aging population? Is it a pandemic? Is it an opioid crisis? Is it all of the above? Like what's, what's going on with these call volumes? Definitely all the above and the population of our areas too. Like when I started city of Kingston was really like we had Kingston township and we had a little bit of the East end, but right. those areas have exploded with population. And a lot of people that have come from Toronto sold their house, come here down here to retire. So our right. volumes are, are people that require our services are so high, but, um, and I think, vehicles, like Kenny said, compared to the volume that we have, they're just not matching up. We just haven't met the demand as it's increased. And I think that's common across the country, especially in the urban centers. There's so much population growth right now and all emergency services, not just the medics. There, There's not a proportional response to this growing population base well, per unit to, of vehicle. To, to that point, Brad, I had, a, I had a conversation probably five years ago or so, maybe a bit longer, to be quite honest. Uh with a, an older emergency physician who's still working uh, right now. And uh, he drew a graph for me. And basically it was, you know, he goes, this is where we are. And it was like the population at the time we're dealing with like people born in the mid 1920s to early 1930s. And he goes, we haven't even hit the people that were born in 1945 and after, you know what I mean? Wow. So we can't even handle the call volume associated yeah. with the elderly who were, pre uh, baby boom you know and so we have this whole cohort of people born from 1945 to 1965 who you know are are gonna swamp us and they know it's coming and the the frustrating part for me and i'm sure you guys is the the proactive pre-planning isn't there like this it doesn't just happen to get a new ambulance on the road it's not an overnight decision this takes a lot of time a lot of finances a lot of thought process a lot of uh, resources in general and we should almost be like five years ahead of ourselves. We know it's coming. The pot, these people were born, they're there yeah. and the booms Absolutely. are coming and everybody's living longer. We've come up with all these innovative technologies. With much and, more and, complicated medical histories, that's right? right? So they require right. more treatment at hospital. Yeah. Another point, another point I want to say is in all of that, we're still not essential. And this is a topic that could be an entire show. I've said it on some of my other podcasts, like, the public in general doesn't realize that in the province of Ontario, paramedics, ambulances are not an essential service. Exactly. And without that essential service designation, we lose a lot of pull. We lose a lot of power and we lose a lot of ability to do things like grow and to to secure funding and resources that would match communities similar to us around the world or around the, at least our own countries. So uh, that's something that you guys have worked your whole career as being a non-essential service member. Uh, you don't have the benefits of early retirement as per se police or, or fire. Uh, the, the magic number for us, for, for those that don't know, is 90 for most of us in these services. That means years of service and age. So even a 60-year-old needs 30-year service in and he's still slugging these people around. And it's just um, something that needs to change. Service too, right? That's, that's right. Service. A lot of people start out part-time, right? And they're not accruing the same, right? Yeah. Right. There's a lot of benefits for us as a profession to become essential. And there's a lot of negative parts from the political side and, a, and a, an employer side to having well, us the, be essential. 
the one thing I'd like to say uh, with regards to length of career in particular, uh, it's a, it is a tough job physically and mentally. And, and, you know, I almost think that police, fire, ambulance, any of the emergency services, correctional workers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, almost like the military, if you put 20 years in, you should be allowed to retire and move on. Like this, this goal to, to get your pension by hanging on by a thread till 35 or 40 years yeah. in or whatever it might take it is really kind of antiquated if you I ask agree. me and we're working on a system that, that really isn't helpful to to the people performing the job there's a, right. there's a lot of impediments to making it to the end and uh, one of them is the fact that they they force you in a physical and mentally demanding job to put in 35 years you know? and through through the lengths of your professions especially brandy you've been kind of switched around downloading uploading uh the province is running it it's private it's and during those transitions a lot of your pensions have been wiped out they weren't transferable we, we work with people that when the employer changed they didn't acknowledge the fact that their pension from all their years before could be brought in and, and carried on so they've lost those years of service of uh, the continuity of it and the, it's uh, you you pay the price for that as you said kenny for having to work even longer let alone get out at 20, 25 years, which is yeah. still a heck of a good emergency service career. Oh, absolutely. As far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. Then we run into issues unique to us, quite unique to paramedics compared to the other uh, emergency crews, is that we, especially not all big services, but most of the province anyway, has part-time paramedics. This is uh, so unique to this field. Um, people don't realize time off is a huge issue for us. Uh, in order to get a day off as a full-time paramedic, you need to be approved. It doesn't matter, Randy, if you're 35 years in and you have time in the bank and you've got a day or, or, or a year owed to you. If there's no one to cover your ass in that seat, i.e. a part-timer to work for you, they deny you. So it doesn't matter how long you've been there. And that that doesn't really match any of the other emergency departments that are out there, emergency services, where they can go down to a minimum level of staffing. They can go to a minimum platoon level. And all that time that they've actually earned is usable. And as you guys know, you get near the end of these years of service, you want the time off more than you want anything else. Absolutely. I, I think that it, and, and part time is then leading to you guys being refused time off. And then it, it could potentially lead to needing some sick time. And Kenny, you had some, some thoughts pre-show about sick time and the way oh, our sick yeah, world well, is, uh, it, it goes along, if you want me to follow up on that, yeah. it goes along with the sort of what I just said about it's a mentally and physically demanding job at times. But, uh, you know, people might laugh at this, but I kind of view us as professional athletes. And and we're only useful to the public and to the employer and such uh, if we're physically and mentally prepared and capable to do the work. And, and you you might be physically okay but then maybe that day you're 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 kind of struggling to to figure out how to get there and then other days maybe mentally you feel great and you want to be there but your body's letting you down and you know there are very few people i think over the course of the years i've worked that actually abuse sick time but there, there's an idea in the, the heads of the politicians i i think more than anyone else that uh you know we're just union people that are here to like collect the money and call in sick whenever the heck we want and stuff right and that's not the case like i 
honestly, on one hand, I can count maybe some people that abuse sick time more so than they should. You're right. Uh, it needs to be there, and and quite frankly, it needs to be used because if you 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 need to show up to work mentally and physically prepared to do whatever the job throws at you that day. And some days you feel like you could handle a busload of seizing babies, and it's like, ah, no problem, bring it on. Hmm. And other days you don't even know if you can treat a fractured hip because you're not really necessarily feeling on, right? And I, and, I know and I had so, the, I had the displeasure more than once from hearing from senior HR levels that that's the job I signed up for and I should just be able to suck it up and deal with it. And I'm sorry. I see Randy smirking too. I'm sure he's heard it where we're only human. And some days, yeah, I'm, I don't have a cold. I don't have an infectious flu, but I just feel like shit from a call that I did or shifts that I've done or never not getting proper meals for four shifts in a or row. Or you just feel worn down. Right. Like you just, there's nothing particular and, that's put you there. How many other jobs? A, how many other jobs do you hear people say, well, I got to work at eight o'clock this morning and yeah, about three 30, I finally got a break so I could get something to eat and, exactly. the bathroom or whatever. Like it just doesn't happen. And people don't understand that we go through that every single day. I mean, every... we try to get our breaks, but we just don't have the uh, amount of resources to cover us off to get the call volume is just too high for the amount of resources we have. So we can't exactly. get a break. And we're never but, off on time. We're never and it like, also doesn't matter. Oh, speak, I was just gonna say it doesn't matter where you perform our work. Like people are getting chronic overtime. People are not getting yeah. a chance to eat. You know, go to the bathroom. That's sort of thing. This is a you problem might, across the entire country. You know, as you said right. earlier, Brad, maybe across the world. Show on TV. Any paramedic show on TV will show you that the job is exactly the same anywhere. That people are yeah. just overworked and. We just yeah. need more resources, but it could but it's not like that. those real shows on 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 mainstream TV where we're running in the burning buildings and we're all like saving <laughs> oh God, bridges no. like that. That's not the issue. But what you're talking no, about is any any real news outlets or, or shows, right? The job is the job. Yeah, you well, get in your truck, you go get people, and you hopefully bring them to the hospital in a better condition than you found them in, or at least the same. That, exactly. That's, that's no, the goal. I was going to say to your point, Brad, about the overtime, like the shift I I currently work. Uh, in the month of November, I had overtime, I think 80% of my shifts. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I worked my overtime bank down to about an hour and a half left in it because I like, I'd rather take the time off than the money, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah. So uh, I'd worked my bank down to about an hour and a half. And uh, I think the other day when I was at work, it was at like 26 hours. And that was all from the month of November, right? So you're getting two hours overtime, you know, getting home by like 1030 at night. And then you got to get up and do it again the next day. You got to get up at 6, 6.30. But in the meantime, you still have to make your lunch for the next day and do all the stuff right. that you sort of have to do to get ready for a shift. And it's it's exhausting, right? And I know it's tough to, to run a family or have a family revolve around our schedules. Over the years, they end up just giving up, right? Like once you're at work, they know they can't rely on you to be at this event after work or to go to see this play or this concert or be with this person. It just doesn't happen. So and, that, and honestly, that wears my, on my you wife's too. a ship my wife's a shift worker so we, we basically just do our shifts and kind of get together when we can and do whatever family events we can uh, yeah. based on our schedules but uh, it, it is a tough one because a lot of family members don't fully comprehend the shift work lifestyle so it's like why can't you be here christmas day well no so, i'm working <laughs> so there can be a physical uh, there can be a lot of uh, a health tolls of the, this job can play havoc with our own health physically and mentally 
um, it's no secret out there that there's some physical tolls of this job. And Randy, you've been off more than once in your career with an ailment, an injury, work-related, um, not work-related, but primarily work-related. And we deal with communicable diseases. We deal with poor diet, as you've alluded to. Like we're not eating all day and then we finally eat at three o'clock in the afternoon and we're eating on our lap and you're hurrying up because you're behind paperwork. So you're trying to do the paperwork while you're actually eating. That can't lead to anything positive for any of us. People don't realize it's not just pulling our back or straining our shoulder. Speaking of which, we got Kenny's broken right now as well oh. physically. Uh, this job is just, it, it takes a toll and they're trying to do better with some of the equipment. But you're dealing with some very personal moments right now, Randy. And uh, I think people need to realize that on top of providing service, you were fighting some pretty significant battles behind the scenes. Yeah, or anything that I mean, you can uh, uh, expand on with that? Yeah, last, well, it started in, it started before 2020, but uh, I was feeling kind of unwell. And then when the whole COVID thing came around, I uh, went to the hospital a couple of times to see, because I was getting short of breath and stuff, which was a symptom of COVID and weakness, et cetera. And um, I went in three times, I guess. And the third time, Dr. Graham took my blood work as well, just to see if there's anything wrong. And she came back and she said, you don't have COVID, but your hemoglobin is 93, which means for all you medical people out there that I was bleeding somewhere or not producing red blood cells. And my white blood cell count was normal. So this is a picture of me going into my second surgery. So uh, long story short, I had a bunch of tests and I was told I had bowel cancer. So I ended up having surgery for that. So part of my large bowel disappeared. And then when I did my one-year checkup, they came back and said, by the way, we found a different one. And it's a completely different kind of cancer, also in my bowel. And so I had that one taken out. And now I'm on chemotherapy, and I have to take it every day for three years. So yeah. on top of that, so I've been trying to deal with that. And eventually, they say I'll get back to it. That was Look at so those abs. Jeez, You've yeah. been doing sit-ups, eh? <laughs> they had to poke through those abs with a sharp scalpel oh on yesterday. They had yeah. no, but that's this is chisel. part of your procedures, right? So on yeah. top of your your many many years of serving the public, you then get the treasure, the treat, as many people do. Unfortunately, cancer's rampant yeah. uh, in our in our uh, communities. But you're you're dealing with all of this as we're dealing with a pandemic, as we're dealing with. Um, personal stresses of the job as you're trying to figure out your own retirement the best way there so people that know you out there are going to be quite uh, i i was kind of blown away by these pictures i didn't realize you had kind of gone that far down the path of illness that, and, and you they told you they cut right out there. what's that that what you're looking at right there is when i yeah. had to have an iron infusion before my first surgery so it looks like it's Guinness going into my arm. Yeah, Kenny's excited. That's he thought it, it was Guinness. Is, by the way, folks, that's what it normally is. Shout out to the pilot house. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, obviously, usually we're on the other end. Sorry, Snoop, I'm kind of blocking you out with these pictures. But on the, okay. we're, we're usually on the other end. Anybody that's only listening to this podcast right now, we have a whole bank of IV infusion pumps. And as medics, Randy, over the years... We've been responsible for actually moving those pumps to our stretchers and moving the patients that are all hooked up to this stuff. Yeah. And now it's your turn to sit there. And uh, I can't believe the number. I think I'm counting five bags of drip bags there, that's, maybe four. Uh, 
That was the last time I went in, which was about a month or a month and a half ago. Yeah, maybe even a couple months ago. Uh, the chemo that I was on drove my white blood cells down to essentially zero. And I ended up with an infection of some kind, which was is uh, febrile neutropenia. So my neutrophils were at zero, so which meant I couldn't fight off an infection. So I ended up going to KGH for a week and being in isolation and all the antibiotics and all the other stuff you saw in the pumps. Unreal. We're, uh... I, I like to say this has been about a year and a half journey now. And the staff that I had to deal with, like at KGH and all the testing that I had to do, were absolutely remarkable. Good. It's so good to work. hear. Yeah, the system worked like a charm. Everybody's I, so nice and, you know, the cancer center people are wonderful. So, And I'm hearing this from non-responders as well. I had a guest on recently a few pods ago who had suffered a blood clot emergency, nothing vaccine related, but during the pandemic. And then they were discussing their trials and tribulations of emergency services when your family can't get involved in a pandemic. But they had a lot of very good things to say about the system once you're in. Once you're inside and they're and the specialists are allowed to do what they're doing and, and, and they're working hard and they're they're trying to no matter if we're responders or not, they're trying to get us all back on the right side and keep things stable. So we're glad you're on the mend. I was I was asking you earlier, Randy. You're you're yeah. you're on the uh the right side of things. Turn the yeah, corner. That, after that last bout there, I they decreased my dosage of chemotherapy. So it does have some side effects. One of them is periorbital edema. So my face feels like it's blowing up on me. So I may even have to get glasses like Snoop one of these days. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. I'm hiding those from the old uh, camera today. eh? (laughs) Uh, But obviously this job, it's all about they they teach us to keep ourselves fit. They teach us to to keep ourselves uh, nutritiously, uh, proper nutrition, physically fit, mentally fit. But we just run out of time. Certain days you come home after a 20-hour shift or you've been out the door 20 hours, you're not going to come home and work out and make a proper meal. Kenny, you actually have uh, some very good... I've uh, had some uh, good uh, culinary experiences so, over the years that I've made for myself. I know I know a lot like the fire department who who is not very uh, well off with their food skills. Um, you're, you're very similar to them with certain nutritional... I, I, I scanned your Twitter and I found this package of Red Hot... It's a solid breakfast on occasion. Just but, microwave those babies up, slap some mustard on them, hot sauce, you're good to go. So we're talking breakfast? Or are they, they're any well, that was breakfast one day for sure. <laughs> but then so was this, day, right? Actually, years ago, I was working with Ross Brown, and uh, he dared me to go to the Healthy Habit and get 12 sausages for breakfast. <laughs> and, uh, well, I did. Then, thank God, we didn't do too many calls the rest of the day because I spent the whole afternoon in the shitter. <laughs> <laughs> and Ross Brown, again? You know, yep, legend. legendary veteran. Yep. He got out uh, after many years as well. Because of back but problem. Because of back problem. That's right. But he ended up uh, making it to retirement, although he, he entered retirement quite hobbled, which was sad. Yeah. Uh, then, Kenny, you posted this breakfast item. Well, which you can is only a, eat those cold out of the can. Uh, right there. Uh, yeah. If so, you heat those up, you're weak. So you've like gone through a whole day of mental whole day. anguish. That's, that's my, uh, that's, I put that food in my locker in case like I don't have time to make something like you pointed out after a long shift. I keep yep. spare food in my locker and, uh, and every zoodles once in a while is. you got to go with the zoodles. They eh? cold though. From Not Elphagetti's. Elphagetti's no, or zoodles? Zoodles is better. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. If now, you wanted to have a taste comparison, we could do it, but zoodles will win every time. <laughs> I every love time. it. 
But if if you're not keeping yourself fit, you're not keeping yourself healthy. There's no way you can look this good. Oh man, yeah. There is the man that is uh, anybody not watching but listening. There's a picture of Kenny in his dress uniform, and I've known Kenny for almost 20 years now, and I have never seen him wear any I've such only attire. Worn that baby uh, twice. I, I wore it when I received the exemplary service medal, which was a, a very. Uh, a very nice honor to receive actually after receiving that i kind of thought well that's that could be my career in ambulance I, it's a physical representation of having performed the job for more than 20 years and it was a recognition by the governor general and i know randy's earned that as well it's a tough one to get and it's a nice one to get uh but yeah i've only worn that uniform twice the, the that picture was taken on remembrance day this year i had the special honor of uh, laying the wreath at the cenotaph Excellent. so i thought that was quite nice a great post on your social and i remember seeing it and i didn't recognize you so luckily yeah, it was under your account there. and you said it was you and you explained yeah. what you're doing it was a very noble noble my reason teeth were to... in and i had a suit on so i didn't recognize myself <laughs> either <laughs> so how do you guys cope then uh coping mechanisms are a big one for uh people getting into this field people that are in it people that are outside of this industry that go how the heck do you guys cope and on a serious note a bunch of us rely on oh animals. i got low battery brad hold on bud okay all right we're gonna switch kenny stuff. out here i'm gonna kick him out for a second and um randy you and i are going to talk about coping and some similarities that we have uh you're an outdoors guy you love to get away it's very common with a, a bunch of us to seek the outdoor life i live remotely more remote than i ever have now and you enjoy the cottage life and uh yeah. this is you getting away with your your dog your dog's name that's bella bella and your boat. The boat yeah and this to me it looks like your refuge here and it's very it is, common uh, i was lucky about 10 years ago that uh another friend of mine who used to be in ems tim wright had a place on this lake and he suggested i come look at something and i did and 10 years ago we bought this little cottage up north of kingston so yeah we're there a lot that's good and, and you mentioned Bella. Yep. So and there's a, there's a, this is a fantastic picture. I love this one you sent me, uh, yeah. Bella in the chair, but there's a commonality with us responders. And it seems to be that we all rely on dogs or at least pets to some capacity yeah. for our own mental sanity. And these aren't necessarily therapy dogs. Mine isn't a registered therapy dog, but it sure as heck she does give me a lot of therapeutic benefit. And sometimes in our world, I know guys, you're the same. You just want to be around nobody. You don't, yeah. you've been around people a lot and you've been around people in crisis and you've been around people in the worst situations you can imagine. So sometimes it's nice to just come home and be greeted by this, right? Yep. Bella there. And, and there's no, there's a special bond between responders and their animals. And Kenny, Kenny, you were, uh, can you hear me? You're back now. You got the phone going. Oh, I lost sound, Kenny. Can't hear him. So can't hear Kenny right now. And we're going to try to click the volume button if he can hear us. I think he can. Yeah, you're good. See, this is ideal. This is the, the life of experienced <laughs> paramedics trying to use technology. Yeah. So, uh, like, like, honestly, a total halfwit. Like, when I have the computer at work and I have a problem, I hand it to a young person and I haven't even actually physically handed the computer over and they fixed it and handed it back and called me dumb. <laughs> But you know what? You figured it out. We got her going. We were just talking about pets, and 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 I yeah. know 
over the years, Kenny, you've had some really good uh, dogs, and I'm not going to yeah. try and trigger any uh, memories of that. No, but no, you're a no, dog no, person. But you've you've, the... you've you've switched you switched teams, bud, and I don't mean well. Okay, so the way people I may think like to say from the outset, I love all animals, always have. I'm actually a big suck when it comes to that sort of thing. When I was a single guy, I had two cats, Bruce and Petrie. I won the custody battle with my ex-girlfriend to keep Petrie, so that was good. <laughs> uh, but then uh, then after the cats disappeared, my wife came along. They didn't disappear because they, they stuck around for a bit. <laughs> um, we had a boxer by the name of Marvin. And then Marvin was with us for eight years. And uh, prior to Marvin's death, we, we adopted a dog from Louisville, Kentucky by the name of Lena. Now, Lena was a special uh, dog because she only liked a few people. And uh, she was great for us, but she was not great for strangers. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, we lost Lena a little over a year ago. And my wife and I, we, we were petless for from November 4th till about February 2nd of this year when we adopted. No, well, there's Chicken Nugget. There's my Nuggie. Chicken Nugget. You got to love that yeah, name. Yeah, I got that yeah. name because the feral rescue group that saved them from some barn somewhere uh, put uh, Chicken Nugget in a uh, trap. And he was the oh. only cat that went for the Chicken Nugget. So that's how he got his name. <laughs> and then uh, we have another. Oh, there he is. Look at that. So he's going to get a lion cut in about uh, three or four months once it gets a little warmer because he's got he gets a lot of shit hanging from his hair and his ass. he drags it around the house and never wants to want to find a fucking chocolate bar out there. But, didn't know it was there. but that's yeah. a mean on that you know which one is this which one is this that's chicken nugget and that's grant that's grant fisherman that's an amazing uh picture i like that uh yeah, so you become a uh, you become a cat they're, guy they're like dogs actually they're, they play fetch and they just hang out with you they're, they're great and then yeah, there's Grant. Yeah, unbelievable, Kenny. I never pictured you to be a cat guy, but I only knew you as a dog guy. I remember meeting the the boxer and and your rescue dog, and yeah. and then when the cats came on the scene, and you're you're just an advocate for those. But I think it's important to note that that's a very common uh, trend with all of us responders, no matter what field we're in. Is well, we we love our pets, we love our animals. Your animal doesn't give a shit what you did that day, right? Yeah. And so yeah. to give you an example, like for Marvin, for instance, he, he was totally a therapy dog for me and my wife, and so was Lena. But I did a call one time that, uh, honestly, I don't need to get into the details because it would probably make people, you know, call their own therapist. But uh, I came home, and before I came in the house, I actually had to go to the garden hose to, like, hose my boots down from all the blood that was on them. Yeah. And then I came in the house, and Marvin's just there shaking his ass, you know, <laughs> he's just all happy. He didn't care that. You know, yeah, I just done a horrific call, and just unconditional too, that, right? Uh, I could come home to, right? Unconditional, unconditional. Yeah, uh, and they was, don't, uh, they don't have a memory that's uh, like a time-sensitive memory. They don't know if you've been gone in ten minutes or ten hours. They kind of just grab you, the same way every time you're home, and there's no feeling like coming home to an animal that's happy to see you. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, so many, you guys have reached a point in your career now where. A lot of staff are starting to like it or not guys look up to you and uh they, they both of you have tremendous reputations in your line of work not only for the skills that you bring to the job uh i i definitely while i was training i was looking up to you guys i, I we talked randy i remember the day i was became advanced care you and i were golfing and you said are you ready and that was about it and you you basically <laughs> said uh 
it's happening and, and are you ready? And I, just to have your approval and your kind of support meant a lot. And I'm going to personally thank you guys for that. It's both ways. I've worked with both of you many times and we've had a lot of good shifts. But a lot of these other staff now that were around us right now look up to you and they should. But I think it's important, though, for them to realize that you were once new as well. And do you do you remember? Do you remember being new, Randy? Do you remember those days? And what how would you describe being new in this line of work where basically a pager goes off or a, a tone goes off and you're out the door not knowing what you're finding and you're the new guy? Yeah, I kind of felt bad. Well, I kind of alluded to how I started. So when I look back at it, I feel bad for the people I had to work with because I didn't even know where the equipment was. So when somebody <laughs> like Rick asked me to go get the, I don't know, bindle winder, I didn't even know. I had to have to ask him where it was and just trying yeah. to put on splints and all that kind of stuff. So, but I had some really good people help me out, like Steve Pinckney and guys like that, that, that showed me around and showed me how the stuff worked. But I remember just trying to learn it and making lots of mistakes and thinking, oh, shit, I better not do that again. And, and you know, I still do that. I still learn that way. It's like, oh, that didn't work out. I agree. And I think a key to an, a new person anywhere, and I don't know, Kenny, if you agree, is, is it's okay to make mistakes, but admit that you've made them and, and, and realize Absolutely. that you're that, not that, perfect, right? That, that, that holds true for all of us, though, right? I mean... None of us are going to be perfect at the job, even though you just, you try your best to be, right? I mean, that's where a lot of the pressure from the job comes. You, people are relying on you to show up and make great decisions that benefits their care. And right. so really, realistically, that is where all the, you put the pressure on yourself to perform, right? Because you, you have a real privilege to be able to come into someone's house and help them out in their time of need. And that might sound kind of cheesy, but it's actually true, right? And so... You know, like it's uh, it's really important to uh, to put your best foot forward, work your ass off every call. But if you make a mistake, you know, recognize it, learn from it, and, and move forward with that knowledge and impart it on other people, right? So that they don't necessarily make the same mistake that you did. So I want you guys to give one word of advice to new hires, to newbies, the, the real new ones that are just getting their foot in the door that are looking up to you guys going, man, how do these guys know all of this stuff and do it so well? And they're so comfortable because quite often I'll admit, they're not going to ask you personally. They're going to wonder how, how, like what's one thing you would like to impart on these individuals. I would say what Kenny just said is that we all make mistakes and and you have to learn from those mistakes. And when we, my son is in the paramedic program and he's asking me about why do I have to learn this and this and this if it's not gonna to apply to my job? And I tell him it is gonna apply. You just don't understand that it applies yet. Because right. the more that you know, the more you're gonna stand what you're doing. And when you make a mistake, you're gonna know you made a mistake and just learn from it and understand why you made it and then don't do good. it again. Kenny? It's a good piece of advice. From, from my point of view, obviously, I, I would like to say that uh, just try hard, right? So like, there's nothing more frustrating to me than you see someone who you know isn't like really working at it. So they've asked enough questions to, in their mind, they've settled it. This is what it is. I've asked the five questions that got me the answer I wanted, and I'm going to run with that. And, and you know, 
I'm always like people can say whatever they want about me. Quite frankly, they, they, they could they could knock me for how I behave at the base or the fact they might not wash every truck or mop the floor. But if someone ever criticized me for my effort on the call, I would take real uh, umbrage at that because mm. every day, every call, you work hard and you should always work hard, no matter how you're feeling. I agree. Like, even if like you might be frustrated with your job, you might be tired, you know, maybe you have a problem at home, whatever. The patient should never know that you're having those yeah. sorts of thoughts, right? They shouldn't know that you haven't eaten in four hours. If they ask me, I'll say, yeah, I haven't eaten, but I'm not right. going to ever volunteer to them that, oh, I'm pissed off because I haven't eaten in four hours yeah. and I've had to take a piss for the last three hours. They should never know that. And, it's not and their fault. It's not their it's fault. It's not their fault. And, and people should just work hard at making doing the job well and also like making the patient feel comfortable i know people do that but uh, and there's other ways to do it as well and, and the one thing that also drives me that's not just like say a, a lack of effort perhaps at times you see from some people uh it's the fact that some people actually don't spend a lot of time talking to their patients right so you know you might ask all the questions to get you to a certain point in the call where you're reasonably convinced that you know what's going on and you're going to go down this you know, road of treatment, blah, blah, blah. But on you, so you start that and you get going to the hospital and then you see a lot of people pick up a, a tablet, a computer and start doing the paperwork. Well, you've got someone sitting in front of you who might be 95 years old and completely cogent and they want to talk and you have living history right in front of you. I agree. You. And part of your assessments are ongoing. So like you're having a conversation with someone. It might not seem like you're actually doing your job, you're just having a chat. But in fact, you are doing your job because you're constantly reevaluating through the conversation their answers. You know, and do they have a great memory? Do they remember what happened yesterday, last week, 75 years ago when they were in World War II, right? Like, and it's a very rewarding yeah, part of the job that they're that. missing, right? It's a very rewarding right. part. It's rewarding, that part of the job. Absolutely. And they're missing Absolutely. out on a lot of it. Like when you look back at some of your job satisfaction, I know me personally, it's all of these unique individuals that you've actually had a 10 minute moment to have a little glimpse in their life. Some people well, you wish I you could throw it away. Yeah. That line? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So we're at a, a nursing home in town. And uh, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, it was a, a really easy call to transfer. Essentially, the, the older guy had fallen out of bed, cut his leg, really wasn't hurt, just needed dressing and transport for some stitches and uh, so i'm just looking around the room and i see this world war ii photo on the wall above his bed and it's a guy standing right at attention and uh, he's getting metal pinned on his chest and i said is that you in the photo he goes yep and i said who's that with you he goes king george the sixth and if the fucking royal photographer had taken the picture from a different <laughs> angle the whole royal family would have been in the photo <laughs> it's and i was like all, all these years later, you're still pissed that the photo was taken at the wrong angle, so we didn't get like all of them in there. And, and then later all... that, I was yeah. gonna say later in that call, so I talked to him and, and I asked him what the medal was, and he said it was the Distinguished Flying Cross. And then we got more into a little bit more of the what had happened, and then he looked at me and he goes, "You know what? Let's not open that hangar door tonight anymore." <laughs> uh -huh. So he just like he was talking, and then he was like, "You had enough." But yep. what a line. Let's not open that hangar door tonight, you know? Perfect. And and yeah. 
I've tried to, you've, you've all, both of you have had students, many students, you've been preceptors and you've kind of contributed back to the profession that way, which anybody who's not familiar with our world, that's a one-on-one, one student with one crew for 480 hours or more on the truck, every call with these guys doing the call. And I've been a preceptor as well. And I always tried to instill that it's actually, it's hard to remember it, but it's a privilege that they're letting us in their house to help them when it's their worst time. Like, it's really a privilege, like that they are saying, we trust you. And it's easy to get frustrated with all the fluff that's out there and all these kind of distracting calls. But when it comes down to it, if you can remember that and you can just show that appreciation, I think it does what you say, Kenny, and just let you pay attention a little more and listen a little more and have that human interaction a little more that really of all the perks of our jobs, that human interaction is, is unbeatable. Well, one on so, one so in the many back. people think our job, and I think I'm sure Randy will uh, agree with me here, and you will as well, Brad. But so many people think our job is like oh, slamming in that ID, intubating that person, you know, defibrillating mm-hmm. someone, all this stuff. You know, like, that's such a small fraction of our yeah. job is to almost be inconsequential compared to what we do truly day in and day out, which is yeah. actually rock up on to someone's house and just have a chat. You know, <laughs> like really, that's what our job is. And if you're able to implement you know, treatment and, and provide some extra stuff on the way, of course, that's always going to happen and be great. But really, like 98% of the time, we're having a chat with someone gathering information and passing it on to the hospital so that they can pick up the ball and continue from there with the, the appropriate treatments, you know? So it's very easy for us to look at a situation and say, you know, why didn't you just go to your family doctor? But a lot of people don't understand the system, right? So a lot absolutely. of we're the first person they see in the system. So we have right. to do all that assessment as well as guide them in the way like, yes, you need to go to emerge or, you know, urgent care is quieter or whatever the situation happens to be. Oh, when, when they say we're patient advocates, it's not just right. on their health. It's basically guiding them through this whole process of being an advocate for whatever level they may or may not need from this point on. And um, I, I think... Sorry, one of the cats wants in. All right, bring it. Come Which on, one, Kenny? Is that chicken nugget coming in? No, it's Grant. Okay. Here All right. Um, so we've we've touched on a lot of things, and we we've been almost an hour here. But I I need to know is, is there one call? Is there one call, guys, that in all the years just still makes you laugh, or still makes you just shake your head in amazement, or one that you've told over and over? Before we go here, I just like people are curious and this is what they're curious about. They're like, you've seen some shit. You've dealt with a lot of calls. We don't even know if you've tried to tally how many thousands of calls we've attended to over the years. So, yeah, Randy, is there any anyone in particular? There is. I've had more laughs on calls than I've had, you know, tearful moments. But I think one of the funniest things I ever saw was when Rick McLeish was talking to um a patient and doing an interview like uh what's his name jolson you know and he was going so mammy how are you feeling <laughs> and i could not stop laughing and he wouldn't stop doing it and i was trying i was brand new and i was trying to be professional and he was doing this and she was loving it and i was laughing so hard obviously she wasn't sick but my god it was funny but it's true i mean it's how we cope right that we have a, a different sense of humor at times that's yeah, for sure. We're we're known to cope that way. And what about you, Kenny? Anything? Well, even before amazing. I give my even... answer, I want to ask Randy. Remember that call we did where the guy had just gotten out of prison, and his girlfriend what? called what? you a bitch or something? Right? <laughs> she 
She was swearing at <laughs> them by the end of the call and saved his life, and she was hugging you, thought you were the best man on the planet, and I was still an asshole for some reason. I don't know why. I don't understand it. I'd done nothing wrong. I'd not said a word to her. You dealt with her the whole time, and she hated you at first, and she loved you. She still hated me. Oh, man. And there's so many of those. And I know personally, and I have less years on than either of you, I even forget some of these calls. Like there's stuff that until you start talking about it, you're like, oh, yeah, you remember that call? Or, oh, yeah, you remember that call? So I'm sure they're in there. But, Kenny, is there anything that's absolutely cracked you up or made you amazed or just baffled? People will swear I made this up. But uh, I was working with a girl by the name of Lindsay Mellon. She now, well, Lindsay Mouides now. She works in Ottawa uh, at present time and part-time for where I currently work. Anyhow, we were sent out to, to a gentleman who'd had a seizure and continued to have seizures. And so we got into the house, and he's sitting on the couch, and uh, his heart rate's like 120, whatever it was, atrial fibrillation. And we're having a chat, just like I said you do. You know, we're chatting away, and all of a sudden he's like, I don't feel so good. And I look at the monitor, and his heart rate went from like, 120 to 80 to 70 to 40 to 20. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so we fire up the old uh, pacing. And uh, so now he's alert and he's getting paced. And for those of you out there who don't understand uh, transcutaneous pacing, but you put the big pads on with the monitoring leads and uh, you deliver an impulse to the to the chest that then stimulates the heart to, to beat and you can decide the rate and so on and so forth so I, I got him his heart rate beating at like 80 beats a minute whatever and had good capture blah 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 everything's going well but it's painful it's very painful <laughs> and his wife was really getting mad at me and she was starting to get in the way of you know us being able to perform the job and because things have happened so quickly I hadn't gotten any pain medication in the guy because, you know, what's your choice? You know, like make him feel comfortable or he's dead, right? So you fix the problem and treat the pain. Anyhow, I I was trying to do this and his wife's getting upset and she's like, you're hurting him, you're hurting him. And I tried to explain again and again, no, we're not, we have to do this. And then she really got upset. And so finally I kind of said, listen, if I don't do what I'm doing, you might as well book a room in that, funeral home at the corner i've got it i've got to do what i'm doing and so in between him getting this he goes don't do that they're too expensive (laughs) (laughs) you can't even make it up right i was like i just started laughing to still have a sense of humor at this moment where you're actually providing his heartbeat with your own electrical signal right yeah Yeah. unbelievable do that they're too expensive but anyways it was a lot of the stuff you can't make up you literally can't make it up with the stuff we see the stuff we do right so really like he's talking oh yeah and and i know Lindsay, and and randy knows Lindsay, and i can only imagine the uh the discussion after that call with you guys but yeah yeah, i uh i kind of always wrap up with three questions to my guests and uh, we could uh, talk for a long time about this illustrious careers of yours, and hopefully we'll have you back on in some capacity. And uh, I know the the listeners are going to be more than thankful for you bringing your stories on. But to get you know get to know you a little better, I need to kind of ask you. We'll start with Randy. If you're the fly, if you could be a fly on a wall anywhere, any situation, 
what would it be? Who would you want to listen in on or what would you want to see or what would you want to be a part of? Well, I have heard yet that question before, Brad, and I, I don't know. Most, a lot of people know that I play music and stuff and it's my, one of my greatest distractions. And I think the place I'd like to be in the wall would be backstage at Woodstock in 1969. Nice. Nice. Yes. I imagine it would be full of epic you might not have many memories, though, eh, Randall? <laughs> yeah, Probably you not. Be, you'd be you a fly. You kind of got planted there, and that was it. <laughs> might not have made it to the 70s, but it would have been fun. And I must say kudos to you. You are a talented uh, musician, and you, you're a man of many skills, for sure. And uh, I know that you played for our um, colleague when we were tr- paying tribute to a, All right. yeah. Uh, yeah, a dece- uh, someone who we lost uh recently and you guys did an amazing job there and kenny um who is it for you i can only imagine who's it's going to be you know what it's as they say on overdrive it's like the recency bias but uh right now i would like to be a fly on the wall uh when mercedes is speaking with the fia and the f1 uh, people there with the hamilton stuff hamilton got fucked last weekend right and I, I'm here for Lewis. He, he should be the F1 champ eight times. I recognize him as that. And uh, Max Verstappen will have his day. But uh, I'd like to see how those negotiations went between uh, Mercedes and uh, and the FIA. It'd be interesting to see the big money arguments, wouldn't it? With all this power and rank and, and pull. But I agree with you. Uh, I was following that and the uh, uh, shenanigans that ensued and for those people I, that don't I know we're talking f1 racing. racing it was a championship years and i've never seen anything that that terrible yeah that was just brown okay so the next one's a little easier uh kenny i'll start with you this time and it mainly stems from this picture right here uh if you can't see it this is like a delicioso or some sort of frozen pizza that you've actually supplemented with two craft looking cheese slices it's just a horrendous yeah, looking piece of food. That, uh, <laughs> what, what, what I was doing that night is now considered legal in Canada. Um, and I was hungry. And you called so it epic. I, I needed some extra cheese on that, baby. And <laughs> well, that... Uh, I fired up the old uh, processed cheese slices there. <laughs> it, and uh, it, I thought it uh, looked pretty good, quite Your frankly. post I mean, on your social media that, was so uh, proud. Restaurant presentation there, but she's pretty good. I couldn't believe how proud you were on the social media for the culinary excellence that you you, you developed there with I the mean, cheese slices. So that being said, whether it's this or not, you're allowed one food item the rest of your life. What is it? You can have one thing. For, for me, I, I would I would have a red or green curry uh, Thai the rest yeah. of my life. Chicken, yeah. beef, pork, whatever, Chicken, like goat, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Green or red curry chicken. Yep. Nice. Good for you. No and problem. is green, which I, I've had both, but is one hotter than the other? I don't remember. Green's a little hotter, I think. Yeah. Generally recognized. Good for you. All right. And Randy, what's your food of choice for the rest of your life? I'd say vegetarian pizza. Lots of hot peppers on it. With cheese? With uh, this? No cheese slices. <laughs> Can we add a few crab <laughs> cheese? Like, look at the olives on that, too. Look yeah, at that. Well, it looks good. It looks pretty tasty. A vegetarian pizza. Are you a vegetarian or just particularly like that with your, your pizza? I just I just happen to like that. I don't really eat a lot of processed meat and stuff, so right. I just I like pepperoni and stuff. So All right. yeah, I just like it. 
lots of garlic and onions and hot peppers. So that would be. Pizza's so be. handy too because it can be cold breakfast. It can be thrown in your lunchbox, especially a vegetarian one. You can let it sit a little longer. You're not as worried. But That's right. you can um, leave it on the counter. Yeah. yeah. Cold All right, so Randy. Pizza with pale beside the cold zoodles, though, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> cold if I could put that one every time. This this here though, okay? Look it's that. the it's the napkin beside it that's the extra appealing wow. picture on the uh, the used zoodle you know, napkin. You know what's funny, lads, still I, I I had a T-shirt on. I sat down in preparation for this, and I realized, oh <laughs> fuck, there's a stain on it. So then I got another T-shirt. It had a stain on it too. So then Randy and I, like I say, we're like high school kids here. What are you wearing? Yeah. And, uh, Both so of you should show the shirts. And who's on Mine's the back, Kenny? Jeff O'Neill special. Right from the Earth <laughs> pub. The O Dog. Randy's got staging. Like staging. Yeah. What's that? In case everybody wasn't aware of how old you guys were, Randy's got staging and you have O'Neill. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's uh, And it's a leaf. Pretty much solidified power. it there, didn't it? If I have to, if it's offending any viewers, I'll just edit those logos out later. But I think we're good well, right now, guys. You know what I get a big kick out of when I walk through the mall? I'm that asshole that walks up to someone with a Habs shirt on or hat on. <laughs> and I say, you got something on your hat or your shirt. <laughs> then they look. They're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, all hey, in fun. <laughs> and you guys are big hockey players too, right? We're all kind of the old men's league. Uh, oh, yeah. We're not there. very good, but uh, yeah. we'll get out there. We've had some fun. So Randy, yep. This will be interesting. You've got the most years out of all of us. May or may not be work related. What's the smelliest place you've ever been in, or the smelliest place you've ever been? Well, as um, we've all experienced, anything that is dead and rotting is yeah. not a good smell. <laughs> but one particular one, I remember going to an event like that and. We went into the building and your some of your colleagues, Rod, were there ahead of us and they ran in and ran out just as fast as they ran in. <laughs> and we went in and there was an individual somewhere in the bathroom who was dead, but he was cooking a turkey. And this was three or four days after Thanksgiving. And the turkey was also on the counter, rotting. Oh. And the place looked like Amityville Horror. There were so many flies in the house from the turkey, I guess. And, it was and the maggots get in so quick, do they not? In in the people and the turkey. I ran out just as fast as the other guys did. <laughs> but but it's your responsibility as the medic to confirm that they're not viable anymore, right? So yeah, the fire guys can leave, but you got to go in. Visual yeah. confirmation. I think. Man, what are you doing, <laughs> Kenny? What do you think? Well, Smelliest place you've ever been? Yeah. Well, I've got a couple. Um, I mean, similar to what Randy said. Like, so yeah, work related, I, both of you? Oh yeah, I mean. The, Is it all? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's inevitable, right? I try and avoid smelly places in my regular life. <laughs> um, as a general rule, you know, I mean. But uh, no, the, uh, there's there's one one call I did recently where basically the uh, the apartment was used by the patient's five cats as a litter box. Oh. Like the entire oh. apartment. And so you walked in and like urine, cat urine seeped up around your boots. Oh, uh, so funny. that really was uh, not not good at all. And then uh, and the cat shit everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And then another one, uh, we actually played a game. We said it was with the people I was with. For a million dollars, could you stay in this apartment as it is for a week? For a million bucks, would you do it? And uh <laughs> I mean, it's just, we're kind of twisted at times. You got to play we these games, but 
when we got off the elevator, we knew what we were walking into and the apartment was filled with flies and the person has had been deceased for some time. And I tried to, uh, tried to get the dog out from underneath the bed, but the dog was staying right by his owner. But yeah. the maggots had eaten most of the face and the arm and uh, all this stuff. And I think the dog had taken a couple chunks too. So that was pretty stinky and pretty, uh, pretty ugly. I tried to get the dog out from underneath the bed. It didn't work out. The dog, uh, <laughs> the dog might still be there. <laughs> that smell is unmistakable. Uh, yeah. Anyone who has not had to experience the smell of a deceased individual that's been more than a few hours into the days is fortunate because it's so unique that once you smell it, you will never, you'll never mistake it. But that smell of cat urine, Kenny is in yeah. my note. The, anyone that hasn't experienced that either, it's just such a blazing hot ammonia burn that gets in your yeah. eyes, your nose, and it chokes you out. And it's, uh, that's the first one we've had with cat urine, but I'm not surprised that we've finally heard that come up. Um, uh, it honestly, was, unbelievable you guys are uh legendary i'm gonna bring randy on the screen here because we need to get bella uh a little shot here and uh i think she just disappeared come here, bella's randy. gone bella's gone but um come on you're gonna come up come on try and get bella on the screen and and if you've had your cat there and everything this has been such a touching moment in the in the podcast <laughs> life uh with all <laughs> with you guys here we go all right, there she is. Hey, Bella, what a beauty! What a beauty! Come say hello. And uh, and Grant's being a cat, so he's taking off. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> he's decided. Doing his own thing. <laughs> but he did interrupt the show. He did. So at yeah. least that part, yeah, still a cat. So yeah. guys, I'm gonna uh, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna sign you out, but just hang on tight here for a minute. Um, I want to thank you, thank you for joining, man. It's been uh, really good to finally not only get you guys to sit down at the same time but to pick your brain a little further than I probably even have working with you over the years and, and learning a little bit more about you. And I wanted to pay tribute to you as well for um, being a, a leader for so many of us and, and you still are and all the best gentlemen. Uh, Randy, Bart, keep getting can, better. Thanks, I, uh, I hope to have you guys on again. Hope to have you on soon because I'm simply a voice for everybody out there. And I think there's a lot to be told. We could go with any of these topics we talked about today. We could do our own show on just those topics. Oh, sure. Yeah, and uh, I know the the viewers, thank you guys for sharing their, your story. Uh, I had quite a bit of interest on the social media when Randy posted yesterday that he was coming on. There's a lot of staff out there that are like, really? We're going to get to hear about these guys? <laughs> um, and they're willing to go Either on. Good or bad, right? So yeah, that's right. Just- no it's been excellent. It's been excellent. And I know your stories are unique, but they're not unique. We're, we're the kind of the same across Canada, across the world, and our problems are everyone's problems. And I think that uh, the more we get them voiced and out there, it's not only therapeutic for us, but maybe maybe somehow, some way, maybe we can become essential or whatever one day, and we can say that even our voice spread a little message. So sure. uh, keep doing what you're doing, Randy. Keep getting uh, Keep getting better. We're cheering for you. Nice, man. And uh, take care of Bella there. I'm going to click you out. And uh, thank you for joining. And Kenny, my twin. It's uh, yeah, I know. It. We've uh, 
we've been on calls together and it definitely fools the odd individuals and it thinks they're if they're having a stroke they don't know what's going on with these two bald heads and it's even worse now in the masking world where we're we're, we're masked Absolutely. up all the time and uh well we've got beautiful eyes brad so it's hard to tell us apart eh? <laughs> that's right i do have all my own teeth I do well, have my hey, own teeth, so up. I appreciate you starting that out at the be uh, at the beginning to differentiate. I but just, I was just gonna say, actually, uh, for those out there, that uh, my wife used to be in the emergency room there, so now she's <laughs> she's up uh, upstairs. But uh, there was one time she saw Brad standing at the desk, and she almost grabbed his ass because she thought it was mine. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know so if that was a compliment that or that she didn't or did or. And uh, well, I've, I've shared that story many a times, and Shelly and I are quite good. Uh, we get along quite well. So absolutely. it's part of our world. You can only laugh at it, right? If you're not laughing, you're crying. So that's right, Kenny, that's all right. the best. Uh, it's been Thank a pleasure over the years. And I know, uh, aside from work, we've been pretty good friends. So uh, thanks for joining. And we're going to have you on again thanks soon. And stay safe, yeah. buddy. And good job with the technology today. Oh, my God. It was so All fun. Right. You know what? You, the the you, two things stressed me out in this world. One is bagging my groceries with a line of people <laughs> waiting to like check their groceries out. Drives me nuts. Like, <laughs> you drop dead in front of me. I'm happy to perform that call, but don't ask me to bag my groceries with people in line. Fuck. And then uh, the other is technology and being on a podcast. So, like, yeah. yeah. So the next it's show, we're going to have you bag your groceries in front of us on your phone. And we'll do oh both. We'll do it together. We'll see how far you've come in the transition into into We're modern society. Like, that would be great <laughs> podcast material, right? There. So okay, thanks again, Kenny. Thanks, thanks for so thanks for everything you do, and we'll be in touch. Stay safe, thanks, Brad. Okay. Well, we did another one. Uh, so glad to have those two guys on, Randy, Kenny. Um, thanks for sharing your stories. Um, pleasure been a pleasure to work alongside you guys has been a pleasure to learn from you and it's been a pleasure to laugh with you um on behalf of all your colleagues over the years and ones you are still working with uh thanks for being uh who you are and what you do and for for spreading your knowledge <laughs> good or bad in our direction um I just need to thank a couple sponsors before we go. Well, at least partnerships. I'm gonna. I recognize I've got your back. 911.com. They're a great resource for anybody out there that's suffering from any sort of mental uh, troubles, stress. Uh, they they do have a suicide prevention team line. They also have some great merchandise. They've got um, really cool swag, and all of their money go back into mental health and uh, first responder mental health awareness and support they have some trust funds uh they deal with therapy dogs they're just a great group and i'm happy to uh be working with them right now also very happy to be part of the deanblundell.com network they've been tremendous support uh dean's got a whole array of podcasts including his own on his network that i would highly recommend uh tuning in on so thanks dean and thanks to your crew for everything you've done my socials are here on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as Offload Delay. Uh, also, Facebook to a lesser extent uh, under my my own name under Brad Hopper. You can listen to this podcast, the audio version, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can tune in, watch on the YouTube channel. I encourage you to subscribe, uh, set some alerts, let you know every time we've added a new one. And as well under DeanBlundell.com again. I uh, thank Randy, thank Kenny. My contact information is right here. It's offload.delay 
14 at gmail.com. If you do want to reach out, if you have any show ideas, if you have any comments on the shows, feel free. And you can also reach us at our socials. So thanks again. We did another show. We got a great show in and look forward to doing another one. Until then, stay safe, everyone. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.